This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Boker Tov, good morning. How are you? Boker Tov, Moadim Lissimcha. It's been a kind of a busy week with so many activities. <clears throat> we spoke about the Jerusalem Parade. 60,000 people amazing. turned up for the Jerusalem Parade, which is really amazing. Um, we, we spoke about a story last week, Howard, when um, there was all of the gatherings along the Gaza border, lots of tension um, and, and, and people gathering there every day. And then on Thursday, I think it was, I mentioned that Israel had decided to unilaterally open the Erez crossing mm. to allow Gazan workers in and out in spite of the fact that the tensions on the border didn't seem to dissipate. There still seemed to be a lot of activity and even some violence along the border. And yet Israel decided to open crossing and allow um, workers in and out and then the story kind of disappeared from the headlines nothing more said and all gone quiet along the Gaza border and what was quite fascinating was during the day on Thursday um, there was an announcement that was issued by the Gazan authorities where they declared a warrior's rest day on Thursday what which meant don't come to the border. Don't create any violence. Don't gather along the border. We're taking a rest day, a warrior's rest day. That's exactly what it was called. And um, they said that and there was some work going on, some, some negotiations behind the scenes to try to help the uh, situation, the way in which Palestinian prisoners are being treated in Israeli jails. And they also went on to say, and we wish to use this opportunity to try to improve the lives of Gazans living in Gaza. Now, that statement was really, really fascinating because on the one hand, it talked about some sort of a political um, a gain, some sort of mm. a, a victory of some sort where prisoners would be treated better or there was at least talk to to treat uh, uh, to treat the prisoners a little better in Israeli prisons, but I think the second part of the announcement was really critical. This one about improving the lives of everyday Gazans, and they felt that the warriors' rest day would serve that purpose. And I think you know if we we remove all the fluff and we look at the hard facts, I think there was some work going on in the background between mediators from Egypt and other, perhaps Qatar as well, to try to calm the situation along the Gaza border down a little bit. Clearly, the decision that was made to allow Gazan workers into Israel has had major impact because that is now considered to be a critical leg for the general improvement of the lives of people living in Gaza. And the fact that Israel had closed the crossing for 10 days and not allowed those workers to come mm-hmm. and work in Israel and therefore earn money to bring back to Gaza apparently had a substantial economic impact on what was going on in Gaza. 
to the point where they actually uh, that the, the Hamas authorities were willing to come out and declare the so-called Warriors Dress Day, which means get away from the borders, don't create any violence, don't create any trouble. Let's make sure that the crossing stays open for people to move in and out in order to create that economic activity. So quite a lot of interesting lessons for us to learn from all that went down, both during the time of the protest and indeed the way in which the protest just suddenly dissipated and disappeared into thin air. Absolutely fascinating. It really, you know, I wonder if we'll ever really know the details of what went on behind the scenes. But nevertheless, it is fascinating to see that definitely there was. Questions continue to be asked about the extent to which the Palestinian component will dictate the move to normalization ties between Israel and Saudi Arabia. So what, what are the current indications? Well, the so-called Palestinian component is sort of written in inverted commas. Mm. And there is so much going on at the moment with Saudi Arabia. Let's start with some of the, the amazing visit uh, to Saudi Arabia by the Israeli communications minister, Shlomo Karhi. Lots of pictures coming out of Riyadh showing a minion taking place uh, for Sukkot in Riyadh, davening from reading from the scroll of the law, from the scroll of the Torah that was provided by the local community in Riyadh for the Israeli delegation at their hotel to create a minion and to, to pray for Sukkot with their uh, four species, the Lulav and Etrog. <clears throat> and the inscription on the cover of the Torah talks about the, Riyadh, the, the Saudi Jewish community and, and in a memory of King Salman and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and, and, and lots of references to the leadership. And um, those people who are able to go online and get a picture of the cover of the Torah with the Hebrew inscription, uh, talking about the king and the crown prince and talking about the, the Jewish congregation of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It's really like a first or one time event. Very, very fascinating indeed. And of course, a very, very historical scroll of Torah made available to the Israeli delegation during their visit uh, to Saudi Arabia. Um, it seems as if the Saudis are really going out of their way to make the Israeli delegation feel at home, to feel welcome, really opening their homes, their hearts, everything that they have in order to make this something memorable. And indeed, it really has been amazing to watch how this has gone down. And of course, in the background, we've got lots of uh, political events going on as well. Apparently, Benny Gantz has made what they've called a quiet visit. It's not so quiet anymore <laughs> to Washington to a talk apparently about Saudi normalization. Um, but let's talk about the Palestinian component for a moment because there is this little uh, um, issue about what will really happen with the Palestinian Authority and to what extent what happens or doesn't happen may well um, torpedo the Saudi normalization talks. The Saudis originally saying that without a Palestinian state, there couldn't be normalization with Israel. And let's also plant into this discussion the fact that the Saudi royal family have certain pretensions about being involved with being seen to be um, the custodians of the Temple Mount. That is currently uh, um, 
a, a, a title that belongs to the Jordanian royal family. And there's a little tension between them. The Saudis definitely want to get involved. They definitely want to be seen to be the heroes and the saviors of the Temple Mount for the Muslim world. And of course, as I've said before, that title currently belongs to the King of Jordan. But the Saudis do wish to become the, the knight in white the knights on the white horses coming in to save the Temple Mountain, to rescue it so that it's secure for the future of the Muslim world. And to that extent, they see that um, the Palestinian issue is very much tied in with it. And that's, I think, why they've come in to say uh, a Palestinian state is a precondition, or they had said previously that a mm, Palestinian mm. state is a precondition to normalizing to- uh, ties with Israel. I think that they've understood now that that potentially could torpedo normalization with Israel. And so they've stepped back a little from the Palestinian issue. And it's quite interesting to see that the Israeli government officials have really been playing down the Palestinian Authority as having any level of importance in this whatsoever. They've just referred to Mahmoud Abbas disparagingly as the mayor of Ramallah. That's the title that they've now given him in order to somehow downgrade his level of importance and his standing in all of this in order to somehow try to squeeze a deal with the Saudis. What's so noticeable is that the Saudi street is ready for normalization of ties with yeah, Israel. They I, really want I, this. I, I think it's so interesting because, because it's happening on the street level, business level, uh, all these other, the other ways. I think it's going to be very hard to pull this back even if the, even if they would want to. I think you're right and I think that the Saudis have already kind of gone down a path where they can't return any longer and so they're going to have to find a way to somehow squeeze this but the Palestinian issue is definitely a major talking point and exactly what the Saudis will be willing to do in order on the one hand to be seen to be the saviors of the Temple Mount and the Palestinian people alongside that but on the other hand to somehow make sure that this generates the result that they want which of course is normalization of ties with Israel and of course getting the favors that they're going to be getting from the United States. Let's not forget that that's a major part of this deal. Perhaps a a nuclear program for civilian purposes, perhaps um, the the protection of the United States, which we've spoken about previously. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot riding on this for the Saudis. And I think that they, not only the regime really wants it, but of course the Saudi street seems so ready um, for all of this to happen. Very interesting. The Mossad has denied reports that uh, its head recently met with the head of the judicial reform protest movement. So uh, why is the Mossad denying this, though? Well, I mean, this is a very fascinating story. Mm. Yeah, it's a very fascinating story, because why would the Mossad be meeting with the heads of the uh, judicial reform, and why wouldn't they? Why would they not want to be meeting? And so the, the issue here is that um, there are some accusations that have been leveled toward the Mossad that they have something of a soft spot, that they have some sort of support that they've been given to the judicial reform process. And, of course, in the process of supporting that Um, In the classic words of uh, a former U.S. president, if you're not with us, then you're against us. And so if the Mossad is seen in any way to be supporting the judicial reform process and the protests that have been going on, 
then that would be an anti-government kind of stance that the Mossad would be taking. And that, of course, would be entirely inappropriate for the uh, security services of, of the state to be seen to be supporting uh, those who are anti-government in the way that they're going about mm, their business. Mm. So um, that is the reason why the Mossad chief, David Barnea, um, has issued the statement saying fake news. It was, that's a little ironic that there's fake mm. news being attributed to the Mossad. Absolutely. But there you go. Um, and, and in fact, it was a, a Likud a member of Knesset, Tali Gottlieb, who is in her own right very, very controversial. But she wrote that she heard in inverted commas, that Shikma Bresler, who is the head, uh, considered to be um, with the head of the Judicial Reform Protest Organization, had a sit-down meeting with David Barnea, the head of the Mossad, um, without giving any more information. Um, but um, the thing is that Shikma Bresler himself um, is quite a controversial character. He's made some statements which he then apologized for. But he's a very, very sophisticated individual. He is a criminal lawyer. He knows his way around the legal system. He knows um, how to, to deal with all of these things. And uh, it's interesting that the Mossad is somehow being associated with the judicial reform protest movement. I think it would be appropriate for them to meet in order for the Mossad just to understand to what extent these protests, which are now entering their 40th week, mm. 40 weeks in a row of protests, and whether you <clears throat> agree with the protests and what they have to say, and whether you agree with all their actions or not, <clears throat> one has to give credit for 40 consecutive weeks of people, tens of thousands of people turning up every single week to make a statement. And, you know, while there is a lot of truth in the fact that you know, to some degree, the protest movement has been hijacked by people with their own agendas and there have been lots and lots of controversial actions. One cannot ignore tens of thousands of people turning up on the street every single week for 40 consecutive weeks and people still being interested and willing and wanting to do it. Um, and the way in which it's been conducted, which is entirely peaceful and people just coming out and having their say and, uh, protesting and showing, you know, their opposition to whatever they're trying to protest on the day and then going home until next week when they protest again. So I think that the Mossad would be interested to know a little bit more about what the intentions are and to what extent it might uh, present a security threat. But when the Mossad become entangled in potentially supporting the judicial protest movement, I think that's where the controversy mm -hmm. uh, really opens itself up. Absolutely right. Very, uh, it is a concern, and we really need to keep an eye on that. Finally, Simchat Torah will be celebrated in Israel tomorrow evening and Saturday. Now, just a reminder for us, uh, there's, it is Shmini Atzeret tomorrow evening, but then Simchat Torah on Saturday evening. So Israel, it's a, it's a day in advance. What happens? In Israel. So, yeah, in Israel, the, uh, the, that's the point, of course, is that we have a slight offset from what happens um, outside of Israel, where Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah in Israel are all on the one day, which is a Friday night and Saturday, whereas um, outside of Israel, of course, they're split into two days. And uh, it's a very, very festive hug. Of course, people leave their Sukkot um, tomorrow evening um, and no longer use the Sukkot. And, of course, there will be parties on the streets um, with people dancing and uh, uh, people gathering and uh, uh, copious quantities of alcohol being consumed all over um, for Friday evening and during the day on Saturday as well. 
But what then happens on Saturday night is quite incredible. This is a, a, a relatively unique Israeli feature where they have the so-called Hakapot Shniot. Now, on Simchat Torah, for those people who are familiar with what happens, we do the seven uh, Hakapot, the seven rounds, circles that we do, um, and some of them go on for hours and hours and hours, uh, but seven times around. Um, and what happens on Saturday evening in Israel is that people come together in public squares, and there will be a, an event at the Kotel as well. There will be live music, and there will be further seven rounds again, uh, but this time celebrated without the restrictions of uh, the holiday um, there will be bands, there will be music, and of course lots of food sold and people participating from all over. And very, very festive indeed uh, for people to come together and to allow communities to unite um, without any restrictions of the holiday. And of course, uh, celebrating, I suppose, with Jews outside of Israel who will be doing for the first time their seven rounds, uh, seven circles and seven hakapot. So um, that is what will be happening in Israel. Lots and lots of um, festivity and excitement, and that will also present the end of the holiday season for us. Uh, apologies for running over, but just to no, wish everybody no, Shabbat no. Shalom mm-hmm. and Chag Sameach. And uh, we will be back on Monday to discuss uh, what happens after the Chagim, which is uh, probably going to be interesting. It will indeed. Anton Rach wishing you a Shabbat Shalom, a Chag Sameach, and we'll catch you on Monday morning. It's 8.01. I'm Howard Feldman. Good morning. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. Dot com.